Brandon's, what Jonathan did Brandon Lewis from Brandon's World Air and welcome to the two-year anniversary show here on this Friday, September 4th, 2020. Ladies and gentlemen, we are back for our second of five shows this semester. Yes, we're only going to be doing five shows this semester. I'm going to explain all that in a minute. First of all, before we start today's show, I just want to say, ladies and gentlemen, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. The last two years has been a all a ride. You know, two years ago, on September 3rd, that would be, what, 721 days ago, September 3rd, 2018, I set out on this journey. I was not on the radio yet, and I said, you know what? I just want to produce content. I want to make my own brand. I want to make a name for myself. And over the last two years, man, we've had an incredible journey from this idea that I've had that all my fans and all my followers were going to embark on this and welcome into my world of sports. That's what Brandon's world is all about. It's about giving my opinion about a certain topic or, you know, my biggest things in sports, I guess is what you would say. And, you know, I'm really thankful for everybody who's came along on this two-year journey. We're just getting started. With that being said, as you guys know, make sure that you guys are wearing your mask. You guys can see this week, this is my mask, where this week I got the Rated R Superstar Edge. Make sure you guys mask up. Obviously, make sure that you guys are hand sanitizing as you guys are watching on YouTube or, you know, obviously if you're watching on the podcast link, you won't be able to see this, but you can see my little hand sanitizer here that I use during every commercial break of the quote-unquote show. Look, I know this isn't really a radio show anymore. I know we're not going to be on the radio this semester, and I'm not going to lie. That urge with all the coronavirus situations and everything going on with the changes going on at Park School Radio, I just, again, felt like it wasn't my place to have a radio show this semester. With that being said, we are going to be doing five shows this semester. We started last week on August 28th. We're going to be doing this now every Friday in the month of September. And the reason why we're not going to be doing October or November is specifically because in October, I'm going to be taking a hiatus from social media entirely. That means, you know, no YouTube, no Twitter, no Facebook, no nothing. I'm going to be taking a complete social media hiatus for the whole month of October. Then November and December, I am going to be really sitting back and... You know, really just concentrating on school and then focusing on what's to come in 2021 because this brand is going to be huge in 2021. We're going to be doing shows 293 days out of the 365 days of the year. Yes, that's right. We're even going to be doing a show on Thanksgiving. I have that already planned out. Basically, if you guys want to, you, you know, know a little bit in advance here, the plan is going to be to do some shows you know, in September this month, kind of get my feet wet. And then next year, as we go into 2021, man, we're, we're going to be doing shows during football season, Monday through Friday, when football season is not happening. We're going to mostly be doing shows Monday through Sunday. There will be some Fridays I take off. There will be some weekends I take off. But mostly, like the month of March, I'm not taking off any days. You know, maybe Easter I take off here or there. 
I know the month of July and August I don't take off as we get into the dog days of summer. And I've always prided myself on really being that, that workaholic, that work hog, and that guy who, you know, will not want you guys down. That guy, when everybody else is taking off, you know, on the radio and there's no sports content on or somebody else is filling in that you guys don't like, I've always prided myself in, hey, I'm going to be that guy that wakes up Thursday morning on Thanksgiving and there's a radio show up until the Lions game at 1230. So that's what I'm looking at. Um, you know, before we get into today's show, make sure you guys follow the show on Twitter. Twitter at real underscore B Ward and Facebook at Real Brandon's World Pet Show. Also, as you guys know, if you guys are listening on our podcasting platforms, you guys know where to find those: iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, uh, Anchor, as well. That, that was the fourth one I'm missing. I was trying to think of it, but yeah. Without further ado, um, I don't want to be rambling on here, so let's get right into it. And we need to talk about the big trade that happened. Monday morning for my Cleveland Indians. The Indians ended up dealing 29-year-old starting pitcher Mike Clevenger to the San Diego Padres. And I know there was a lot of uproar when this trade first hit because everybody looks at this trade and they go, mm, let me see, who the hell is Josh Naylor? Who the hell is Austin Hedges? Who the hell is Cal Gontrell? And why do we get three minor league you know, players? Two of them are shortstops and another one's a left-handed pitcher. You know, they thought, well, you know, where's the big outfield bat? And let me just say this about fans in general, and then I'm going to talk about the Indians a little bit. And Angel Orlando today co-hosts up as the mic with Sean Fitzgerald. And we're going to get Sean on this semester. Don't worry. But... You know, I know Sean's really busy with everything going on in his life right now, so I wanted to bring him on a little bit later in the semester. But we're going to have on Enzo Orlando today for the second hour. The original plan was to have on Dante Santavante, my old friend, but he couldn't make it today, unfortunately. We're going to have Dante on, hopefully, by the end of the semester as well. But one of the things that I'm going to mention with Enzo, and I'm going to say it here again, is that, you know, why do fans rush when a trade is made? Because in all of sports, whether it's, you know, uh, baseball, basketball, football, usually, unless it's like the Jaguars, who just traded away a fifth-round pick for, for Ronnie Harrison to the Browns, unless it's one of those small trades like Jacksonville's tanking and stuff like that. But when it's a big trade, usually it's hard to judge right off the bat. I mean, look at when the character of Kyrie Irving to the Boston Celtics a couple years ago. The Cavs, you would think, you know, hey, at least we got the eighth pick. We got Jalen Crowder. We got Ante Zizich. And, you know, there's really nothing to show for. Boston got Kyrie, and that didn't work out. So, really, in the end, nobody won that trade when everybody thought Boston fleeced the Cavs. And, obviously, the Cavs got Colin Sexton out of that trade. i not loving that trade for the Cavs either. But, nonetheless, when you look at what the Indians have done over the past four years, 2016, they traded for Andrew Miller. 2017, Josh Donaldson. 2018, Brad Ann and Adam Simber. 2019, Yasiel Puig, Fon Reyes. These people that the Indians have traded for, most of them are still on the team, or most of them were contenders and big role players when it came to the playoffs in 2016, 2017, and 2018. 
The Indians are the best team in baseball in training, in my opinion. Ever since Chris Antonetti and Mike Chernoff replaced the Shapiro regime in Cleveland, I gotta tell you, the Indians have done a tremendous job at developing starting pitching, at getting great value during trades, and signing key free agents. This Cesar Hernandez kid, I mean, he's considered the stopgap second baseman. I would love to bring him back next year, just how good of a game he's playing. And then, again, we talk about the Indians' trades. You know, they still have Branham. They still have Fumil Reyes. You know, that Adam Simber kid, to me, is pretty good out of the bullpen. And the Indians have such good development when it comes to starting pitching. I read a quote from Al Contrell, who was the bullpen guy we got in this trade with San Diego. And he said, yeah, man, of course I want to come here. Every pitcher wants to come to Cleveland. Cleveland, Ohio. Think about that. Every pitcher wants to come to Cleveland, Ohio, because they want to know what the Indians do with pitching. The Indians' biggest, uh, I would say, question mark going into the season was the bullpen, and they've been spectacular. And by the way, it's all without our manager, Terry Francona, who's been out with an illness. Get well, Tito, very soon. But the Indians have been very impressive this season. I have never been more impressed with the Cleveland Indians. Excuse me really quickly. Well, so Gonna take some more of Okay, so, you know, again, when you look at these straight at this straight, again, we got a left fielder in Josh Naylor. He's going to be the everyday left fielder for this team. That's the outfielder they got. They got a backup catcher in Austin Edges, who's apparently as good of a defensive catcher as Roberto Perez. And remember how bad Sandy Leone and both Taylor were when Roberto Perez was out. We needed a backup catcher. Austin Edges figures to slide right in there. And this Cal Contrell looked pretty good against Kansas City the last couple of nights coming out of the bullpen. And I hear the Indians may think he could be a starter next season if they get him to develop the way they think they can. And then here's the other thing, right? These minor league shortstops. Owen Miller, Gabriel Ares. I know we have Mike Freeman down. Or, excuse me, I think it's Josh Freeman. I'll, I'll have to double check that when we go to break. But I think it's Mike Freeman. Hold on. Let me go ahead and do that really quickly. Tyler Friedman is his name. Tyler Friedman. The Indians have, you know, as I said, they got this Owen Miller. They got this Gabriel Eras. And now Tyler Friedman, who's only a year away down in the minor leagues from coming up and being ready. Uh, along with the left in the third, Joey Gantillo, who they could potentially develop and make another great pitcher. And by the way, we haven't talked about the stars that the Indians pitching down with Aaron Zavali, Zach Plezak. Carlos Carrasco, Tristan McKenzie, this kid looks really good. Adam Puckon, we can't mention the potential MVP, especially Cy Young Award winner, Shane Beaver, who's had an amazing season. The guy's like 6 0 with a 1.2 ERA or something crazy like that. So, you know, we know pitching is the name of the game. And with the Indians, they have pitching ready to go. For the next five, ten years. I mean, this team is loaded with pitching, and that's why I do think the window is still open. Now, with these shortstops, as I was mentioning, we have Tyler Friedman, Gabriel Eras, who is the you know seventh-rated prospect in the Padres system. Owen Miller was the eleventh-rated prospect in the Padres system. 
Tara Friedman is the second best ranked prospect in the Indian system. Tara Friedman expects to be the heir apparent to Francisco Lindor, but the Indians have options. I gotta tell you right now, man, I would not trade Francisco Lindor. I would let him walk. I think you go to him next year and you go, hey, Frankie, you got one year. You know, if you leave, you leave. Whatever happens, happens. But give us one great year. I think you'll have the best year to Francisco Lindor ever. I think he's going to be motivated to get that cash. I think he's going to punch himself. And, man, I'm more excited for this Indians team going forward. I mean, you look at this lineup. I hope we're able to keep Cesar Hernandez. But if not, just for this season, he's a great stopgap second baseman. Jose Ramirez is either going to play second base next year if we don't bring back Cesar, or he's going to be back at third base. You have Carlos Santana, you have Lindor, you have Farnmiel Reyes, you have Tyler Naquin, who's really stepped up as that everyday right fielder. Man, how much work has Naquin put in this year? He's putting a lot of work, and I'm really proud of him. So you have Tyler Naquin stepping up in that spot. Then you also have Josh Naylor, who we talked about is going to be your everyday left fielder. You have Roberto Perez, a catcher, and really, you know, we talk about the outfield being the weak point. Really, now it's center field. You know, you're deciding between Delano, DeShields, and Oscar Mercado. And if they get in just a little bit better than what they're hitting, if they can just hit 200, they don't even have to hit for average. They can hit a little bit below average because they're only in like 100 right now. If they can raise those points up a little bit and be a help at the bottom of the order, this Indians team is really good. This pitching staff is going to be dominant. I know there's questions about them potentially, you know, in the playoffs. They're not veterans. They could be a little bit shaky. But I would say take our chances with that. Carl Willis, the pitching coach, has done a great job with these pitchers. Terry Francona, when hopefully he's back by the postseason, is the best manager in baseball. I call him the Belichick of baseball. So I trust him in terms of what the Indians are able to do. But, man... With the pitching you have, if the bullpen can stay consistent, and with this lineup, if they can score three to four runs a game, and like I said, if this pitching stuff really, really narrows it down and really keeps the Indians in ball games, this team has a chance to go all the way in 2020 and hold the commissioner's trophy. If you guys can uh, see in the description of this show slash podcast, I went my column this week. I write columns every single week on Medium.com. This column was about the column I wrote two weeks ago. So two weeks ago, I wrote a column saying, will the Indians trade Mike Carpenter or Zach Plesak? I predicted they would trade Carpenter. I was right on that. I wrote about why I was right on that. And again, why this trade isn't as bad as it seems on the premises. You guys can check that out below by clicking the link in the description. Columns will be out every single Friday. With that being said, let's move into the MLB standings now because these are very interesting. You look at the American League. The Rays, the Red Hot Bay Rays, are the number one seed in the American League by four games in the win column. And that's key because the A's are tied with them in the loss column. The A's have had a really good year out in the AL West. And the Indians are only two games back in the loss column. So you really got to look at the loss column. But the Rays have played 38 games compared to the A's, who've only played 34 games. So keep that in mind. Obviously, with all the COVID tests and stuff, we hope that, you know, the, the A's can make up their games. But if not, it's going to be done by winning percentage. 
Uh, so here we go. The Rays, as I mentioned, are the number one seed at 26 and 12. The A's are 22 and 12. Our Indians are the third team right now at 23 and 14. The White Sox would be the first wildcard team. Look, we all thought the White Sox would be good this year. I didn't think any of us would expect them to be this good. They're 23 and 15. They're only a half a game back of the Indians for the AL Central lead. Five seed would be the Astros. They would be 21 and 15. And if that was, you know, the normal playoff circumstances, it would be the Indians would go to Oakland. The White Sox would host the Astros in the wild card game. That would be your normal playoff circumstances. But obviously, it's not this year. Our second place teams get into the playoffs, and then you have two other wild cards. So the sixth seed now would be Toronto because they're actually tied with the Yankees at 20 and 16, but Toronto has a better winning percentage in their division. So they end up getting that sixth spot right now. The Twins, who have 22 wins, again, they have more wins than the Astros, the Blue Jays, and the Yankees because of this playoff format. They're not all the way down to the seventh seed, and the Yankees get the eighth seed at 20 and 16. So if this was the end of the season right now, the Yankees would be at Tampa Bay, and I picked Tampa Bay to win that series because they have the Yankees number. The A's would take on the Twins, and that would be a very difficult series to predict. I like the A's pitching, though, more. I would take the A's. Toronto would come here to Cleveland. I would take our Indians in that series. And Houston would go to Chicago, and I would take Houston in that series just because of their veteran pitching. I think they're, they're a veteran team. I think they'd be good enough to win at least one playoff series. But again, the way the American League shapes up right now is a lot better than the National League, as many people would expect. However, in the National League, we're going to have the Dodgers. They are by far the best team in baseball at 29-10, and 10, but then it really drops off. The Braves are 22-14. and 14. They lead the NL East. The Cubs are 22-15. and 15. They lead the NL Central. Then you take a look at the three second-place teams. The Padres could be considered the surprise of baseball this year. They're 23 and 16. The five seed would be the Phillies. They're 18 and 15. They've been really good this year under new manager Joe Girardi. The Cardinals have obviously had a bunch of COVID tests. They are still in second place in the NL Central. And it's really shocking how bad the Reds and Brewers have been this year. The Cardinals at 514 and 14 would make the playoffs right now if the season ended today. You added these surprise in baseball, in my opinion, as well. The Miami Marlins are 16 and 16, so they've only played 32 games. Keep that in mind. But they're in third place in the NL East. We know the Nationals have taken a deep dive this year. Obviously, a lot of injuries, but they're not making the playoffs. We're going to have a new World Series champion. But the fact the Marlins are above the Mets to me is a good sign for Miami going forward. With all the COVID tests they've had, they've been able to overcome adversity. And then you add in the Colorado Rockies, they're under 500 at 18 and 19. They would be the final team. Now, they started off the year odd. They've taken a backseat since, but they would be the final team in the National League playoffs right now. Definitely the American League is stronger, but the Dodgers at the top of the National League is a big key here. They could be legit championship contenders. And again, I didn't know what they would be this year just because of all the new pieces and COVID and, you know, will they be able to fit the new pieces quickly? Yeah, that question's been answered. They can't.
The National League reminds me of the East when LeBron was here with the Cavs, and the American League reminds me of the West with Golden State. You know, we always knew the Dodgers would get out of the West just like we knew the Cavs would get out of the East. The question is, who's going to make it out of the American League? Just like, you know, the question was, who's going to make it out of the Western Conference in the NBA? And then, you know, is that American League team better than the Dodgers? I think that's the real question we have to ask ourselves going forward. Is is the Dodgers record just they're a really good baseball team, or is it based off the weaker conference? We'll find that out on postseason time. Usually what we tend to find is the Dodgers in the postseason have choked. They haven't been good. We're about to find out how good they really are. And with that being said, really quickly, guys, we're going to get into some news stories. We're going to get into a new segment on the show. These are going to be top news stories. They're not going to be essentially, you know, rank 5, 4, 3, 2, 1, but just five news stories from across all sports. That way we can cover a little bit more topics that otherwise I wouldn't have time to cover. So number one here is the fact that the Nets have hired Steve Nash as their new head coach, and the Sixers are apparently in agreement to grab Tyron Lue as their new head coach. My thoughts on this is I'm disappointed that Tyron Lue and the Nets didn't reach an agreement. I think Tyron Lue is a great fit in Philadelphia, but I also think he'd be a great fit in Brooklyn, you know, because he coached Kyrie Irving. I think Kevin Durant will listen to a well-respected coach with Tyron Lue. However, I think Tyron Lue is going to make Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid work I'm not sure about it when it comes to Steve Nash. Steve Nash is a no coaching experience. Yes, he's a former point guard, so he'll probably help Kyrie Irving. But will he be a pushover for guys like Evan Durant and Kyrie Irving? I know that they signed off on it, obviously. But is he going to be too much of a pushover of a coach? Is he going to push the other guys? Is he going to gain respect? And we saw Jason Kidd as an assistant coach this year with the Lakers. Has done a really good job, but as the head coach in Milwaukee and Brooklyn, he flamed out. And by the way, Steve Nash has had no prior head coaching experience. Matter of fact, no coaching experience, I don't believe on any level. Here's an interesting story for you when it comes to the NFL. So Alvin Kamara and Zach Ertz have apparently had contract disputes with their current teams. We know Alvin Kamara has apparently left Saints and then he came back. There's a lot of conflicting stories on this. Look, I'm just going to say, if, if you're a fantasy football drafter, I'm, I didn't love Alvin Kamara to begin this season. I drafted him last year and he flamed out for me. He was a big disappointment for me. So I'm not totally sure I'm in this year for fantasy. And Zach Gerd still has two years on his deal. The Eagles are one of the smartest teams in the NFL. I know they regressed their, their offer, but I think it's just, you know, they don't want to pay him right now. I think that Zach Ertz will get a deal done with the Eagles. I'm not worried about it. I think Ali Roseman's too smart not to get a contract done here pretty soon with Zach Ertz, even if it's not their next offseason. But I'm not worried about Zach Ertz leaving Philadelphia. I'm actually more worried about Alvin Kamara's production this season on the field. I'm not worried about Ertz's production on the field. You guys can see behind me, Mike Carson Wentz poster. I think Zach Ertz could have a monster year this year, along with Dallas Goddard. So definitely keep that in mind when drafting your fantasy teams. We're talking about fantasy here in just a little bit on the show. But, you know, I'm, I'm worried about Kamara more than Ertz. All right, here we go. An update on the Big Ten. So the Big Ten obviously rushed to judgment. I think it's a lot of people you know, take on the Big Tens and they're not going to play college football this year. It sounds like because of the president, they might be able to push to play towards Thanksgiving. 
My thoughts on this is, again, I thought that they decided way too early not to play the SEC, the Big 12, and the ACC is going to go ahead and play. The Pac-12 and the Big 10 decided not to play, but nobody's covering the Pac-12. Why? Because the Big 10 is way better than the Pac-12. President Trump needs the Midwest vote. He's going to be going after the Big Ten because that's where the Midwest is to get those voters. He knows that those people want to see football be played. That's why he's starting the Big Ten, and I think that we could get a season around November. Some NFL transactions here. So Leonard Fournette got cut by Jacksonville, and he's going to Tampa Bay. I found that really interesting. Look, I did a fancy draft when Leonard Fournette was still in Jacksonville, so... You know, I'm obviously hoping he gets the bulk of the carries in Tampa Bay, especially late in the year. I'm not ready to give up on Fournette yet. Again, I think late in the year, he could be that bruising back. I know they have Ronald Jones. I know they have Sean McCoy. But I think Leonard Fournette here sooner than later is going to be your feature back in Tampa Bay. We just saw, by the way, Washington this morning released Adrian Peterson. That's kind of a big deal. Uh, as I mentioned before, the Browns got a great pickup trading for safety. Ronnie Arison yesterday from Jacksonville. So Jacksonville is definitely on the tank job. Uh, and Adrian Peterson is going to probably go find a, a contender somewhere. I wouldn't actually mind if my ego signed him as a goal line back. And then Stephen Karakowski, the one-time New England Patriots kicker, signed with the Tennessee Titans. If you guys remember last year, the Titans kicker was former Browns kicker Greg Joseph. They now ain't probably the best kicker in the NFL. That's a great signing for Tennessee. And finally, on a sad note today, Hall of Fame pitcher Tom Seaver died earlier this week at 75. Seaver, who was a 1969 World Series champion, three-time Cy Young Award winner, and 12-time All-Star. Currently, he's sixth all-time in strikeouts, and he is known as the greatest Met of all time. Rest in peace to Tom Seaver, dead at 75. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk about everything going on in the NBA bubble. Was that the right call on Giannis the other night? The Bucs are down 0-2. Lakers Rockets start tonight. I'm going to give you guys my opinion on the Houston Rockets. And also, are the Lakers and Clippers still the favorites out of the Western Conference? That and top five fantasy late round picks I'm going to be giving you guys. That is coming up at the bottom of the hour. We'll see you guys soon. Alrighty, and welcome back to another episode of Brands Word. As I mentioned, part of the hour one here on September 4th, 2020. If you guys are wondering, uh, last week's show was copyrighted by YouTube, unfortunately, so I'm no longer going to be playing music in the background during commercial breaks. You guys can play your, your own music. With that being said, alright, guys, welcome back to the final hour one. Here on Brandon's World, and let's get into it here. We're going to talk about everything going on in the NBA. All of this my NBA roundup. So here's the deal. Uh, the Bucks are down 2-0 uh, to the Miami Heat. And in my opinion, uh, I am not like the way the NBA has called these playoffs. You know, I've always believed, you know, for in Game 7, what I know is that they're more letting the players play more. But... That foul last uh, couple nights ago on Giannis was not a foul. It was totally at all not a foul. Um, you know, I know he touched him on the way down, but in my opinion, he allowed the, the feet to land at Jimmy Butler, and I just completely disagree with that call. But nonetheless, man, you're a great Milwaukee box. Everybody thought it was going to be a great team and easily cruise to the NBA Finals. Another 0-2. Look, I didn't think Miami was anything special. 
I was wrong on Miami, but I thought Boston and Toronto could give Milwaukee a run for their money. And Boston and Toronto, man, that game last night was incredible. Toronto down 0-2. Kyle Lowry makes up perfect pass to OG Ananobi in the corner. Toronto gets themselves back in the series 2-1. And, man, in my opinion, that series could go either way now. You know, we've seen a nice bunch of beaters be the end of the team that hits the shot and be the end of the team that you know, defense the shot. So in my opinion, Toronto could lose this in five or they could win it in six. You know, game four is going to be really telling. I think if Toronto wins the game four, it's a row series and Boston wins, it's over. That's the way I see it there. Um, and then, you know, speaking of game sevens, uh, Oklahoma City and Houston was a really sloppy game. So was Denver and Utah. Now, Denver and Utah is more of a defensive game. But man, I thought both teams, you could have oh, a nerves were over there. They were both missing easy, wide-open shots. There was a lot of knockdowns, a lot of flopping, not a lot of calls from officials. I thought, to be honest, it was really sloppy basketball. I thought the officials had a lot of errors in this postseason. I thought that Oklahoma City-Houston game at the end of this, at the end was a mess. And, you know, quite frankly, I'm concerned for Houston. Because, to be honest, Houston goes against everything I believe in as, as a basketball fan. You guys know I believe in big men. I believe in centers. I believe that centers like Andy Davis and Joel Embiid have angles now. They can shoot the threes. I, I believe they can be a big part of your offense. Well, the Rockets' biggest center is 6'8". And I don't think it works. And they barely got past Oklahoma City. I don't think they have a shot to beat the Lakers. I'll give you Russell Westbrook and James Harden could go off for one game. But that's all I'm going to give you is one game. I think the Lakers got this in five. I think that Denver got worn out by Utah. I think the Clippers got this in five or six games. I think Denver's better than Houston. That's why I give Denver a chance for it to go six. But I do think, though, the Lakers and Clippers are by far the favorites to meet in the Western Conference Finals. And as I've been saying, I do believe that is the NBA Finals. Uh, I don't think the team that makes it out of the East, whether it's Toronto, whether it's Boston, whether it's Milwaukee, whether it's Miami, I don't think any of them could beat the Lakers or the Clippers in a seven-game series. I think the Lakers and Clippers are by far the two best teams in the league, and I think it's going to go seven games. And pre-bubble, I thought the Clippers were going to win game seven because I thought the Lakers would just be worn down. And I'm conflicted, man, because I want to see LeBron James win that fourth championship so bad. I want to see the Lakers win it for Kobe Bryant. I want to see LeBron James raise that championship trophy in the bubble. But I also do feel like that the Clippers are the better team. So my judgment here is going to cloudy, right? Because I'm rooting for the Lakers, but I do feel like the Clippers are probably going to win the series because I feel like they're the better team overall. I talk about this a lot in terms of the Lakers are a two-man show, LeBron and AD. But the Clippers are like a seven- or an eight-man show. But the question is, can LeBron carry the other five or six guys that he needs enough to get past the Clippers? That's going to be the biggest question when it comes to the Lakers is, will they be worn down by the time a game seven hits against the LA Clippers? And, you know, I, I don't know. Uh, my prediction for the Eastern Conference, I think Milwaukee is not done yet. I think they're going to come back and be Miami in six or seven. Uh, and I think that they will host uh, probably Boston. Could be Toronto, but I'm going to say Boston. And I'm going to say right now, I think Boston's got a real shot to beat them. I talked about this before we went on hiatus. You were quarantined for a start. I really think that Jason Tatum is becoming a star in this league. You guys have seen it in the playoffs. Everybody wants to talk about Luka Dondage and Donovan Mitchell. Well, the one guy still playing is Jason Tatum. 
and he's got Jalen Brown, and he's got Emma Walker, and he's going to get Gordon Award back, and he's got one of the best coaches in the league in Brad Stevens, and Boston just always, always plays really, really good, solid, fundamental basketball. And like I said, you know, Brad Stevens and Nick Nurse, probably the best coaching matchup in the playoffs overall, I would say. I don't get the reason why everybody likes Coach Bud in Milwaukee. He's flying down in Atlanta. I think he's going to fly around in Milwaukee as well. I think Boston and Toronto is going to become a very competitive series. I hope it does. Uh, but I think Boston is a little bit of a better team. But I will say this. If Toronto wins the series, and if Toronto gets the East Finals and face Milwaukee again, and then they beat Milwaukee again, I mean, it devalues number two, Kawhi Leonard, or would have been even being on the Clippers. And it devalues their championship one a little bit last year because, again, Golden State got hurt. But if Toronto comes out again, again, we've rarely seen this. When a star leaves in free agency, then it's even able to pick up like that and still be a great basketball team. I think we all thought Toronto was going to make the playoffs just because of how weak the East was going into the year. But we didn't think they would be the two-seed or the three-seed in the East and still competing and having a shot to make it to the Eastern Conference and the NBA Finals. I mean, it's just amazing, and kudos to Nick Nurse. And again, man, though, I do think Boston's a better team. I think Jason Tatum's a star, and I think Boston just has a bunch of bodies that you can throw at Milwaukee. Now, if Miami does somehow beat Milwaukee, I don't think they're beating either Boston or Toronto. I think Miami's a really nice story. I think they match up really well with Milwaukee and Indiana, which is beat up. Now, they shouldn't have fired Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan's going to get a, another job. He's a really good coach. But, with that being said, you know, I think uh, Milwaukee's just a bad matchup for Miami, but I don't think Miami's better than Boston or Toronto. So, I think if Miami gets past Milwaukee, I think that's the end of it for them. And the winner of this Boston-Toronto series would make the finals. And again, if it's Boston or Toronto, that to me is a more interesting watch. I like those teams more than the Bucks. The Bucks are Giannis or nothing. Chris Middleton's above. They have no other star. You know, Eric Bledsoe, yeah, they all provide points. But in the postseason, they shrink. And Giannis has shrunk in the postseason this season as well, giving me a better argument that LeBron should have been the MVP of the league this season. Uh, with that being said, I'm going to switch focus here and talk about fantasy football because last week I gave you guys my top five advice for drafting. If you guys remember my advice. They were, number one, draft running backs really early. Number two and number three went end and end. Quarterback, wide receiver, tight end depth this year, really strong, really strong. Get tight ends, quarterbacks, and wide receivers really late in drafts this year. Number four was, again, don't reach. And number five was let the board come to you. Those, again, kind of went hand in as well. Don't reach. You know, don't fill your positions right away. Get some bench players before you get your defense teams and kicker and all that. This week, I'm going to give you guys my top five. Well, and again, these are not in order like last week. So these are not in order. So I'm just going to say five fantasy late round picks. You know, I picked a running back. I picked a tight end. I picked a quarterback. I picked two wide receivers. So again, a running back, a tight end a quarterback, and two wide receivers, who, in my opinion, you guys can get in the back half of rounds. This is rounds 9 through 16 of standard, you know, ESPN drafts or Yahoo drafts or any other draft that most people are going to be available. And by the way, I did this based on PPR scoring. 
because most leagues, especially ESPN, is now default PPR scoring. So keep that in mind. But with the running back, I'm going to go with Matt Breida of the Miami Dolphins. Now, Matt Breida was obviously in the shot in a timeshare in San Francisco. Um, he's not going to be in that in a timeshare anymore. You know, he's going to be the lead back in Miami. So if you're looking for a lead back who's going to be able to catch passes out of the backfield from both Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua Viloa, I think he's a great option. You know, Miami, we think, is going to be down, but he can still add value. And when they, they are up in some games, because I think they're going to win somewhere between six and eight games this season. When they are up in games, I think Matt Breida can carry the load. Now, I had same thing here with the Dolphins. I'm going to go with Mike Gusecki. I think he's a guy that you can grab in the late rounds. Look, last year, in the final six weeks of the season, Gusecki was a top six fantasy tight end in EPR. We just talked about it with Mike Gusecki and, and you know, Matt Breda, that the Dolphins are going to be throwing the football a lot. I think Mike Gusecki is going to be a big target. He's our second best, you know, edger on the team. Besides Devontae Parker. So I think if you're looking at two Dolphins down the stretch, definitely Matt Breida and Mike Gusecki will be there for you. At quarterback, I'm going to choose a guy that could be controversial, but he's from the Bengals, and it's rookie quarterback Joe Burrow. And the reason why I say that is because everybody looks at the Bengals, and they're going to go, you know, they're going to stink this year. They don't have a good defense at all, and their offensive line is atrocious. And I would say to you, Yes, that's true. However, here's my thought on Joe Burrow this season. And by the way, thank, thank you, Sean Fitzgerald. I, I just checked the comment. That, that, thank you for that happy anniversary. I appreciate it. Uh, here's the deal with Joe Burrow this year, in my opinion. So, Joe Burrow, right, is going to have E. Higgins. He's going to have A.J. Green. He's going to have Iowa Boyd receivers. Three good receivers. He's going to have Joe Mixon at running back. So they are going to have tremendous weapons that Joe Burrow can run the ball to. That's why I really like Joe Burrow. Again, I think they're going to be behind a lot. In fantasy, I tend to look for teams that stink, such as Jacksonville with Garner Minshew. Or as I mentioned last week, DJ Chark, Miami with Matt Breda, Mike Gusecki, Cincinnati, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon. You know, these offensive players. Because you know they're going to get the volume of touches because you know they're going to be trailing a lot in games. I definitely would not look at their defenses. But offensively, I think the only Jacksonville player you can reasonably pick up is possibly Gardner Minshew and or DJ Shark. But on Cincinnati, man, if you give me Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, AJ Green, Tyler Boyd, E. Higgins, I like that offense a lot. That's why I think they're going to win a few more games than people think. I got them between three and five. They can go either way. They could win five or six games. They're not going to be, you know, the worst team in the league. I, I will say that. Then a couple wide receivers here. Again, for the Giants on another team that's for some way going to be bad. I think they're a better football team, but their schedule is just brutal. I like Darius Slayton last year. In his last seven games, he scored double-digit fantasy points in all seven of those games. That's just incredible for a team that's stung for a team that doesn't know they have a franchise quarterback in Daniel Jones. And look, I like Daniel Jones a lot. They do have Saquon Barkley. They do have Evan Ingram. They have Golden Tate. They have Sterling Shepard. But I think going forward, their number one receiver is going to be this guy, Darius Slate. 
he really performed last year when, when they had all those injuries. Uh, and I think he could be a big guy for them going forward. Again, the trend here, bad teams for guys with a lot of buying because that's the team fantasy football. Not necessarily who's the best players or who's on the best team. It's volume, and can they get in the end zone? And somebody's going to have to score this year for the Giants besides Saquon Barkley. I think the second most reasonable guy to do that would be Darius Lane. And finally, my last receiver that you can get in about round 14, 15, maybe even 16, I would say, would be the rookie Justin Jefferson for the Minnesota Vikings. I think, you know, his replacement for Stephon Diggs, the Vikings already said he's going to be starting out wide and in the slot this season. Again, either Diggs replacement. So when you are going to be so worried about Adam Thielen, this is why I was so surprised how much Diggs struggled in Minnesota. Because teams now are going to be so worried about Adam Thielen, and they don't have a scouting report on Justin Jefferson. I think Justin Jefferson can eat. Similar to what Juju Smith-Schuster did with Antonio Brown. Now, if you guys know last year, Juju Smith-Schuster had an absolute terrible season as the number one team, but as the number two guy. Next to Antonio Brown, Juju Smith-Schuster rocked out. He was, I believe, a top 15 fantasy wide receiver. So, in fantasy, what I always like to do is not necessarily get the number one guy, but when you look late in rounds, if you can get it, Tyreek Hill, Julio Jones, or DeAndre Hopkins, you will 100% definitely draft them. But if you're looking at your board and you go, I still need a starting wide receiver, think about a guy like Mike Williams for the Chargers. Think about a guy like Christian Kirk. For the Cardinals, or a guy like Calvin Ridley for the Falcons, or C.D. Lamb for the Cowboys, or Michael Gow. You know, these numbers, or Jarvis Landry for the Browns. These numbers, two and number three wide receivers, because the number one receiver gets paid so much attention to, the number two and number three wide receivers usually have the bigger days. And that's what counts in fantasy, man. Almost to the count of fantasy. Doesn't count in real football either, but it certainly doesn't count in fantasy. You cannot have these guys have one bad day in fantasy. You know, in the real life NFL, if a receiver gets shut down, they either throw to other people or they run the ball and the offense can continue to move. In fantasy football drafts, if your number one receiver keeps getting shut down, like Michael Thomas, you know, the last four or five weeks of every season because the Saints legitimately didn't have a number two wide receiver, that doesn't help your fantasy team because 40 yards is only four points. You know, if he catches seven balls or 40 yards, there's 11 points, but usually it's only 4 balls or 40 points, and that won't be enough. So, I always like to look at the number of two receivers, and I always look to see trends. You know, who gets off to a good start, who gets off to a bad start, who stays hot, who gets out way in the gear, who cools down way in the gear. And you have to be strategic about your drafting. Again, don't overreach, don't do any of that stuff, and you guys should be fine if you're preparing for a fantasy football draft this year weekend and by the way i am too i'm doing one on sunday i'm going to use my rules and uh we'll see how, how i do i will share with you guys at the end of the year how i do with my fantasy teams i will really think we're going to break because coming up next at the top of the hour we have enzo orlando the co-host of as the mic and again enzo and i have not talked since quarantine began back in march so I have a whole boatload of stuff to ask him. I got it right here on my sheet, including his thoughts on the Indian trade, Mike Clevenger, everything going on in the NBA bubble, some NFL stuff. 
We're, when we're talking about the Browns, obviously we keep mentioning all morning they got Ronnie Harrison. I think that's a great, you know, pickup. Is he concerned about the lack of depth on the offensive line, the lack of depth at linebacker? Baker Mayfield this season. You know, and by the way, everything going on in this country with the protests of Jacob Blake, the NBA, the Black Lives Matter on the court. We talked about it with Luke Soka last week. Now I'm going to get a different point of view politically from, from Enzo. I can't wait to talk with him, man. There's a lot of stuff going on in the sports world right now, a lot of stuff going on in our country. It's an unprecedented time right now where all the sports are playing at one time, and it's been a wild ride. And again, I thank Sean Fitzgerald for the comment as I was doing my fantasy football outlook for the top five weight round picks this season. He said, happy anniversary, Brandon's World, here in the comment section on YouTube. Thank you, Sean. I appreciate it. Thank you guys for staying with me through all this ride. September 3rd, 2018, as I mentioned before, was a beautiful day. It was the start of an era, and we're just going to continue moving forward, providing great content for you guys. With that being said, we'll be back of the hour with Angel Orlando, right here. Ladies, you know, we should have Angel Orlando here with us. Hey, Angel, how's it going, my man? I'm doing good, bro. How are you this morning? I'm doing good, man. It's been a long time since I've seen your face. Oh, it's been a while. It's probably been since March. Yeah, I mean, I think you came on my show probably a week or two uh, before the pandemic, and, you know, here we are, and who would have thought that, you know, here in September, we're still, you know, quarantined, there's no fans in the stands, I mean, it's unbelievable. Yeah, it is still crazy, but at least we have somewhat sports back. That's been the good part ever since July. Yeah, I mean, what did you do? I mean, did you miss sports at all? I mean, uh, what you I feel like it just took me a, like a week, but I gotta agree, everyone was in like some kind of depression from like late March to like mid-May. I mean, I worked, but that's all I pretty much did, because I had nothing else to do. See, I, um, I completely disagree with everyone. I'll be honest, I didn't miss sports really that much at all, and I haven't been watching as much as I usually am uh, when they came back. You know, to me, I mean, we, we got basically almost everything that we wanted to. We got the end of our draft. That, that, that was the big thing. That was the only thing I want. I didn't even ask for baseball to come back. I didn't ask for the NBA to come back. All I wanted was a safe football season. And here we are a week away from the end of our season. And it looks like at least we're going to start on time. And that's, you know, a, a good thing. But with that being said, um, I'm glad you're here. I first want to get your take on the Indian trade with Mike Clevenger. I said to kick off the show, I said, why do fans, and I know me and you both do this at times occasionally too, why do we rush to judge trades when they first come out? Why do we feel like we need to grade trades? This trade to me is a better trade than a lot of people give it credit for. I like the addition of Josh Naylor. He's going to be your, your everyday left fielder. You have now a backup catcher in Edges who can replace Roberto Perez if he ever gets hurt. That was a weak point on the team. This Al Control guy is really good on the bullpen. He could be a starter next year. And you got some potential replacements for Lindor in two years. The Indians do the best job at buying and selling at the same time. And I'm going to let you go because I see you're disagreeing. I'm kind of disagreeing because I'm just looking at right now, 2020 season, what the Indians need to do to get to the pennant. As, of course, right now, we really don't have much bats. I mean, Josh Naylor, he can be an okay bat. 
But that's pretty much about it. I was more concerned about our offense. I mean, our starting pitching has been great. I mean, giving up pleasure, that's going to kind of hurt us. But that's going to be the hard part. Our bullpen looks a little weak, but I hope that uh, Cal Quintrell, he can help us out in the bullpen. That's the part where I saw that one game against the Royals where the bullpen kind of blew it at the end when Bieber was pitching great. So I, I kind of see it as kind of a loss, but we'll see in the future because all I know is Francisco Lindor is leaving right after this season. He's going to go to a big market team like the Yankees or Red Sox or the Dodgers. So, Enzo, I'm going to kind of this point by saying two things. Number one is the, the Indians bullpen has been the pleasant surprise of the season. They're third in the major league in bullpen. They're third in, in the ERA. And all these young guys, when it comes to, you know, Mayton, Simber, Whitgren, this carriage that guy, even and I know a lot of people have given Brad and crap, but I know his first couple outings were shaky. But he's second in the league in saves. I mean, when the game is on the line, Brad and gets the job done. When the game is not in balance, and we've seen this a lot of times with pitchers, when, they, when they're not in their rhythm, when it's not a safe situation, when they don't come into the ninth inning, they struggle because their routine is mentally messed up. But I'm telling you, I'm confident in this bullpen. And our offense, I know it struggled at the beginning of the year, but it's starting to pick up. Fondale Reyes is really hot. Tyler Naquin has become your everyday right fielder. We know about the top four. We know what Roberto Perez does behind the play when it comes to catching. You look at this Indians team, and their pitching is loaded. This is a World Series team right now and for the foreseeable future. Well, here's the thing. We just got to see if they keep on playing like this for the next uh, month and going into October. Because I remember 2017, we were playing just like this towards the end of the season. We thought, oh, we got the Yankees first round. That's going to be a sweep. And we ended up blowing a 2-0 lead against them. So you never know in playoff baseball what's going to really happen. Like, I see this team making the playoffs. I mean, well, so you just don't know. But as long as Fran Mule's hitting, Jose's hitting, Naquin, Lindor, when you get that, these guys hitting, I'm not worried about our starting pitching. Our bullpen, it's been impressive. I got to say, I agree with you on that. But we got to see because sometimes they can be a little shaky. So you never know, really. I agree with you. And to me, the, the biggest surprise of this season is, by the way, if, if you look at the playoffs right now, I, I have it right in front of me. Let me pull it out again here real quick. The Indians right now would currently be the number three seed in the American League. Their opponent, if the playoffs started today, would not be the New York Yankees. It would not be the Houston Astros. It would not be the Minnesota Twins. And so, our first-round opponent would be the Toronto Blue Jays. The Blue Jays. And I have not been paying too much attention to them. I know the Blue Jays play in Buffalo now. Uh, I know they have Vladimir Guerrero Jr., who's a great hitter. But I haven't really paid much attention to them. And I think I should, but... I remember last time we played the Blue Jays in 2016, five-game series, but that's when they had Josh Donaldson and Troy Tuliski and Edwin Encarnacion and Jose Padilla, so totally different team. The Blue Jays are much younger, and I think I would give the Indians the edge in this one just because we got the more experienced players, pitchers, and coaches, too. That, and again, our starting pitching, I mean, you, you look at what we're going to have going into the postseason. I mean, Shane Bieber could be arguably not only the Cy Young Award winner, but the MVP of the week. Aaron Zavali is really coming on. That curveball that he throws is so nasty. It locks up hitters. You still have Carlos Carrasco. You still have Zach Pleszak, who looked really good the other night. And then this kid, Tristan McKenzie, 
is come on. I mean, this. I mean, this. That like, kid is special. That kid is special. He's gonna be. Uh, he's gonna be on Beaver level in like two years, I would say. I mean, he's already looking like that right now. But let's wait and see when he's in full season. Troy Clover, Trevor Bauer, and Mike Clevenger, and he's still having a bunch of pitchers. I'm telling you, man, pitching, pitching wins you baseball games. I'm telling you that. If you have a good pitching, you have a good bullpen, that usually wins. You just got to get a few runs. You don't need to go up 7 nothing every game. I agree with you, which is why I think this team could potentially go to the American League CS, if not the World Series this year. I know everybody's concerned about the bats, but the bottom line is, if these bats just score two to three, four runs a game, we should be good. Yeah, I kind of agree. I mean, I said when this whole 60-game season comes out, I said this is the only chance the Indians have to make it to the World Series. I believe this is the year the Indians can make it. And it doesn't matter what happens to Lindor or not, because this is our chance right now. I mean, I don't see if Lindor leaves, I don't see us going back to the World Series. I see us going back to the playoffs. Maybe that's it. But this is our only chance to make it to the World Series, just by looking at this team, looking at our pitching and bullpen, and just enjoying Lindor while we have him. Well, let me just say this. Um, what are your thoughts on the 60-game season and these rules that Rob Manfred has put in when it comes to the runner on second base? The three-batter minimum for, for relief pitcher, the seven-inning doubleheader. You know, what are your thoughts on all these rule changes? My thought is this extra-inning base running rule, I don't understand why more teams are not just running the runner over to third base and getting a sack fly and putting him in. I understand analytics are saying it's not the right play, quote-unquote. But to me, and I think Clevenger spoke to this the first time the Indians went through that, that extra inning rule with the Royals. You put a guy in second base that the pitcher didn't even earn? I mean, this is ridiculous. I, I never liked this rule to begin with. I think that first loss to the Royals, I'm like, this is complete BS. I'm not going to lie. Because you already have a runner on second who didn't even earn his way there. And then you're like, the pitcher's got to worry about him and the batter. And just all they need is a simple base hit. And the game's over. I get Manfred wants to do it to speed up the game. But I don't think any baseball fans really like this rule at all. I'm all right with uh, doubleheader seventh innings. Because I think that works, picks up the game, and it makes the doubleheader go clear. I mean, no one wants to sit around and watch a nine-inning doubleheader. That's too much baseball. That's too much for the players, too. The three-pitch rule, three-batter rule for pitchers is, I mean, it's all right, but I think it kind of screws up the way Francona coaches. It kind of hurt the Indians right there, too. So, my thing with the three-batter minimum is, as you said, let the manager manage. But it's also going to cause a lot more injuries, in my opinion. Now, we haven't seen that a lot yet. But these elite pitchers are built for, you know, certain situations. You look at our guy, Oliver Perez. He's a left-handed specialist. He should only be able to come in and face left-handed power-hitting bats. Now, when we bring him in, he may have to face two right-handers or, or somewhere along the line. And his body is not prepared for that. Um, my last thought on the rule changes with you is... What's your thoughts on the National League moving to the Universal DH? That's the one rule I do like. I, I do like it because, I mean, pitchers, first of all, a majority of them really don't like hitting anyway in the National League. Like, they mostly bunt or they just give their best effort and they strike out or they get a walk. That's what they do. And I think it's good for the pitchers in the NL just to rest their arm and stuff and save it for pitching, not really for hitting. I mean, it's just the way it's going to go, and I think it'll just make baseball more evenly played matches between NL and AL. So it's not going to make a difference. Won't make a difference in the World Series either. 
that sometimes hurts the American League teams when uh, they don't have the DH. I agree with you. All right, I want to move on to what's on the screen here when it comes to the the NBA bubble. Uh, the first thing that I have thought about, especially over the last couple of days, when watching Game 7 between the Rockets and Thunder and the, the Nuggets and the Jazz, is by far, no matter who's in the East, no matter who's in the West, what's on your screen right now, the Lakers and Clippers should make the Western Conference Finals pretty easily, I think. And that series to me, will determine not only the Western Conference representative, but to me, this is your, your NBA Finals. This is your moneymaker. I don't think Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto, or Miami, whoever makes it out of the East, can beat one of these two Lakers and Clippers teams. But I am worried about the Lakers, because when I watch the Lakers, this is what I see. I see LeBron, I see Anthony Davis, and I see four or five bucks. When I watch the Clippers, I see Kawhi, I see Paul George, I see Patrick Beverly, I see Lou Williams, I see Marcus Morris, I see Montrezl Harrell, I see all these guys being big contributions. I don't see that with the Lakers. I mean, I kind of disagree with you. Uh, I feel like the Lakers, you know, they got more rest. That's always good for LeBron, of course. And then, of course, they have the Rockets coming up, and I think they can win that series in five because, of course, the Rockets have no big man to stop Anthony Davis or LeBron. All you really got to do is drive to the paint with those two, and that's it because they don't have Clint Capella anymore, Houston. They don't. They just have a bunch of shooters. That's how the Rockets are. And my thing with the Clippers are they struggled to beat just Luka Doncic in the Mavericks in the – first round without Kristaps Porzingis at all. And even last night, they kind of struggled a bit against the Nuggets, but I feel like the Nuggets really don't have a shot against the Clippers. But I have a feeling the Lakers are going to take that. If it happens, uh, Lakers-Clippers, it'll be Lakers in seven. Here's, just because you got LeBron. And I, and I agree with you, but I'm just worried about after LeBron and AD, who's that third guy at the Lakers? I mean, I don't trust Kuzma. I especially don't trust KCP. I want KCP out of the starting lineup and on the bench. I'd rather start Caruso. Danny Green has been hot and cold all year. McGee and Dwight Howard, while well, they're great defenders and great rim protectors, they don't score the basketball. I just see the Clippers having a bunch of guys like Garn AD and LeBron. The Clippers were literally built to beat this Lakers team. I just got to remember this. LeBron James is a different breed when it comes to the playoff, and I put him over Kawhi anytime. I know Kawhi had success with the Spurs and the Raptors, and now with the Clippers too. It's just I just don't see him stopping LeBron James. You forget we forget how unstoppable he was in 2018, carrying a bunch of nobodies and Kevin Love and Jr. Same thing when he was 22 in 07, carrying no one. He literally had no one other than like Big Z in 07. So we just forget how good LeBron is in the playoffs, and he's pretty much unstoppable. I mean. No one can stop him other than if you have four superstars. The Clippers, they only got two, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And that's about it. Maybe Lou Williams or Patrick Beverly. But we all know how Patrick Beverly plays against LeBron, and it's a little dirty. And LeBron, of course, will whine or something about, you know, not getting calls when he goes in for a foul. I, I agree about how unsettled LeBron is. And I love LeBron. Don't get me wrong. I think he is the go in the world. I think LeBron can win any series by himself. But I'm just worried about the lack of help. I think LeBron will be tremendous. I think LeBron can score a triple-double every game. I'm worried about when the going gets tough, when LeBron needs one of these guys to make a shot, the Lakers don't have that, that third guy that I believe you do need to win the championship. 
So you're kind of saying like the Lakers really don't have a point guard because I mean they don't have Bradley at all. They don't. No, not necessarily a point guard. I'm just saying a third player like Golden State had Steph, Durant, and Clay Thompson when they won in 2015 and almost won 2016 against our Cavs. Draymond Green was that third player that you could at least depend on. The Lakers don't have a third player they can depend on. You cannot depend on Kyle Kuzma game in and game out to deliver in the big moment. Kyle Kuzma, can, he's very talented. He can give you 30 points one night. But another night, he can give you zero points. And I'm also concerned about Anthony Davis down the stretch in big games. In four games against the Clippers this season, he has eight total points in the fourth quarter in four games. That concerns me. We just got to see what happens. I mean, maybe Anthony Davis, he just didn't really play well against the Clippers at all when the games were at the Staples Center. But, I mean, we're in the bubble now, and Davis looks much better than he did before with the Lakers. I feel like he's more comfortable in the way LeBron manages around the court. So, I mean, that's why I just give the Lakers a little bit of an edge because of LeBron. I kind of wish they would play this game at the Staples Center because we would never seen anything like it. But with just how the world is, it's going to be in the bubble and all. Yeah, so, so speaking of, 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 of the world of the bubble, really quickly, I'm going to take this opportunity to, to ask you, what are your thoughts on the NBA and everything that they're doing with the bubble, with the boycotts, with the names on the back of the jerseys, with the Black Lives Matter, social justice written on the court? What is your takeaway, Ben, from, from all this and everything going on in the bubble? I mean, I don't have a problem with the players kneeling or anything or having the Black Lives Matter on their jersey. I don't have a problem with that. I think when it came to the boycott, I mean, it's kind of like if you were an employer at a company and you say you don't want to go to work and your boss asks you why, you're like, well, I just want to protest. I mean, an employer would just fire you immediately because you got to show up to work. You don't have time to go out and protest. I mean, we have the available free speech through the Internet, on Twitter, on social media. And that's the best way you can do it. You can't just be telling your boss, I can't do it. I didn't really like the boycott that much, but I get what they're saying. But I'm kind of glad they went through quickly because, I mean, these athletes do have a large audience to reach out to, and they're able to do that, but they can't be just telling them that they can't play. I mean, at least this was for short term. If this went on too long, Adam Silver would not have been happy at all. I mean, do you think, because the whole point of the bubble was to go down there and really still pay attention to the issues currently going on in our country, do you think that the bubble is accomplishing that? I mean, are, are you noticing the, the names on the back of the jerseys, the Black Lives Matter? Are you thinking about that as you're watching the game? Because I think that was the initial goal. I, I'm kind of thinking about it. I mean, you see it on the jerseys, you see it on the court, too, so... They're just trying to bring awareness to social justice in our country. And that's the same thing going on in the WNBA, which I know doesn't get as much attention as the NBA. But I feel like in basketball in general is doing the best job. Uh, I would say next would be the NFL and what they've done. Because this was all started by Colin Kaepernick in the first place. And Goodell seems to be more open about social injustice and all that now, which I'm surprised with. And I think the, team, the one that's doing it the worst is Major League Baseball. I get we have Jackie Robinson and all that, but that's about it. I've seen baseball. They've been doing their best, but the thing is, you know, baseball has more of a Latino uh, players coming in. And most of them are not even from the U.S. to begin with. It's not like in basketball where you got majority of African Americans from the U.S. playing there. Same thing in the NFL, too. And in baseball, there's not much. I mean, the only one I think on the Indians is Tristan McKenzie, and that's about it. I mean, 
or you got Tim Anderson on the Chicago White Sox. I mean, there's not many you can name anymore like you could 20 years ago. Right, right. All right, well, let's get back to some basketball, Eric, because it was very controversial, the foul call on Giannis uh, in Game 2 between the Bucks and the Miami Heat. Now, my takeaway on this whole playoff thing and the officials is I really feel like Game 7, the Jazz Nuggets game, the Rockets Thunder game, was very sloppy basketball. I thought the call on Giannis was a very bad call. It's the end of the game. You just got to let them shoot and let the players decide the game. But my takeaway is everybody chimed in and said the Bucs were going to be this great team and they were going to run for the East. And I said, hold on, pump the brakes a little bit. Because besides Giannis, they're trying to make Chris Middleton a number two guy. He's a number three guy. The Bucs are not a great team. But I'm just shocked at how bad they're playing against Miami because I would think, you know, an MVP should be able to beat the Miami Heat, right? Oh, yeah, he should definitely beat the Miami. And he, he won Defensive Player of the Year, too. And he hasn't been doing the best defense in this series against the Heat at all. I think he's playing a little bit soft against the Heat. And he said something about how Jimmy Butler is his friend. So I'm like, you can't be doing that. If this was going on in Jordan's era, forget it. Jordan would go hard on anyone. And these players today, I can see it from Giannis, too. As just Some of them are just too soft to handle because everyone's in a bubble. Everyone's together. Everyone's, like, hanging out with each other because... There's nowhere else to hang out. So they're all like, it's like a CYO tournament or something together. Because they're all together, hanging out, chilling. They're all like friends. None of them are like trying to like, oh, I hate you. I really hate you. It's not like that anymore. And this bubble thing's making it worse. When it comes to like player relationships, as more of it's more friends, friends. And not like how it was in Michael Jordan's era. Everyone was like, hey, I, you're my enemy and I hate you. Exactly. So when you look at the East, obviously Milwaukee, Miami, Boston, Toronto, in my opinion, Boston and Toronto are so well coached. And I said this right before we went on the hiatus due to the pandemic. I said, when I saw the Boston Celtics, I said, everybody was talking about Luka Doncic. Everybody was talking about Donovan Mitchell as these stars. Nobody was talking about the rising star that I see in my eyes, and that is Jason Tatum of the Boston Celtics. I saw when he was a rookie against the Cavs in 2018. Last year, he kind of took off because Kyrie Irving kind of dismantled the team. But now Jason Tatum is starting to rise again. In my opinion, I think Boston, Nets, and Milwaukee are your two favorites. Now, if it's Milwaukee, Toronto, Toronto has a shot. If it's Milwaukee, Boston, Boston has a shot. But I just think people are underlooking this Celtics Raptors series because I think both these teams can easily beat Milwaukee. Yeah, I think both these teams can beat Milwaukee, too. I don't think Milwaukee is that good as they were last year. I mean, I think this Celtics team is much better without Kyrie Irving. I, they have a great coach in Brad Stevens. I think the Celtics, the man who runs the team, is their star. That's Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum, that is Jason Tatum's team. He's got Jalen Brown, too. He's got some good supporting cast. I think the Celtics and Raptors series is going to go to a seven-game series because, I mean, the Raptors have a good coach with Nick Nurse, and they're doing this all without Kawhi Leonard because they still have Siakam. They still have Fred Van Vliet. It's just amazing. It's just how good a coach can do to a team and help them make, make them good. Absolutely. So, you know, let's, let's talk about this, though, really quickly because let's switch gears to some stuff off the court because – we have two new head coaches in the NBA. We know the Sixers got Aaron Lou. We know the Nets have got Steve Nash. Uh, my biggest takeaway on the Sixers, you know, I was so disappointed in the Sixers because here's my thing, right? You know, I'm a big fan of the Sixers. I love Joel Embiid. I love Ben Simmons. I said last year 
the absolute biggest two mistakes they made was let Jimmy Bower go and let J.J. Ruddick go. Now Jimmy Bower's lining it up in Miami. J.J. Ruddick had a good year with the Falcons, and they couldn't replace that scoring. But my thing is, look, I really like Tyron Lue, and I think Tyron Lue can get Ben Simmons and Jamal Embiid on the same page. But I think it's unfair to criticize Brett Brown. I think Brett Brown did a really good job and was in an unfortunate situation this year with the Ben Simmons injury. I mean, they had no shot against Boston once Ben went down. Yeah, they didn't, but i kind of surprised that Lou is with the Sixers just because of what happened in the past with uh, Allen Iverson stepping over him in the 2001 NBA Finals. A legendary moment, but I kind of ironic that he's there now. But I would have thought Tyron Lou would have been a better fit with the Nets just because of his relationship with Kyrie Irving. I was kind of surprised he didn't get that job and then Steve Nash. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm worried about the Nets because I feel like, you know, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving obviously signed off on this, but Steve Nash never had any coaching experience, let alone head coaching experience. Now he's going to be the head coach of the Nets, and we saw, you know, Jason Kidd, among others, flame out there in Brooklyn. You know, I'm worried if Steve Nash is going to be a pushover with Kyrie and Kevin. Yeah, I think Steve Nash is going to hard have a hard time coaching the Nets, especially with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. I'm going to have to say mostly Kyrie Irving because we saw how he was with the Cavs, with Tyron Lue. But I think they had a better relationship than when he had with the Celtics with Brad Stevenson. He did not have a good relationship at all with his coach in Boston at all. And I have a feeling he's going to do the same thing with Steve Nash and just disagreements. Even though Steve Nash was one of the best point guards to ever play the game. And Kevin Durant will, will still, still be a dominant player. I feel like Kevin Durant's one of those players like LeBron where he can just coach himself and just manage the game. That's just how Kevin Durant is. And if he's got help, he's shooting good. But Steve Nash is going to have a hard time uh, coaching this Nets team, even though you got two superstars. You know you're expected to be a finals contender every season with these two stars. It's not going to be easy for Nash, and I have a feeling he might not last there that long if he can't handle the pressure or dealing with all these players. By the way, next year in the East, really quickly here, you got Milwaukee, Boston, Toronto. Philadelphia should be back in the mix. Now, now you're going to have Brooklyn and Indiana even. It's a well-coached team. So I think the East is a little bit on the rise. You know, do you have an, an early favorite looking at next year? Do you think Brooklyn can can make it uh, out of the East? Or do you think it's Boston, Philadelphia, or even Milwaukee takes that next step? I have a feeling it's going to be Boston out of the East. I mean, I think the Nets will be right up there. Uh Possibly Milwaukee. I, I think Toronto can be there too, just because of their good coach with Nick Nurse. So I think there are possibly four teams. I maybe Philadelphia. Just gotta see how they do. We gotta see how Joel Embiid does. Gotta see if Ben Simmons stays healthy. Let's see if they can also find a shooter in the offseason because getting Al Horford was not a big help at all. No, and again, we we talked about earlier. You're replacing Jimmy Butler and JJ Reddick. With Al Horford, who's worse than Jimmy Butler, and that two-bang big man fit did not work. And Josh Richardson, who was a way worse shooter than, than J.J. Reddick. So I am concerned with the Sixers, but I still just really like the way that team is built. I think Ben Simmons, man. If Ben Simmons, we've seen him make threes in practice. Can you just take and make a little bit of shots in the game to free up that space for Joel Embiid? That'll free up Tobias Harris. 
and you you just gonna find some, a poor man's Jimmy Butler and a poor man's you, you know JJ Redick one more three point shooter. You you gotta do something to free up the space, and then I think this team is full go because this team was such a good team, and I think if Ben Simmons played in that series against Boston. I think they have a legitimate shot to be Boston, and they could still be in the playoffs right now as we speak. Yeah, I mean, they could have, but I just, just how this league is now, it's more of a shooter's league and not much of a big man's league. You, if you're a big man, you got to be able to shoot just like uh, Embiid. Hellerford can kind of shoot too, but what the Sixers did with this process, it didn't work at all. So now I think the process is still not over. It's still going on, and it's just they're going to keep on doing what they can to just make that perfect Sixers team. Because I thought last year they had a chance, but then Kawhi hit that buzzer beater shot in That's Game 7. Thing, last year killed me. Last year absolutely killed me. If, if Kawhi Leonard did not make that shot and the Sixers go to overtime, I believe the Sixers win that game. I think they beat Milwaukee, and we know that would go insane to Kevin Durant the injuries. In my opinion, if Philadelphia won that game against Toronto, they would be the NBA champions. That's just my that's just my opinion. I maybe I, I would say if the Sixers did advance to that round and did beat Milwaukee and face the Warriors in the finals, I would say they would have lost just because the Warriors were just unstoppable and they still had Steph Curry and all that. I would have said the Warriors would have won the fourth. Well, my thought was, title. I'm going to say who did they have to guard Joel and beat? They had nobody, and being Simmons would have worked that series because you could have put Ben on Steph Curry or Ben on Clay Thompson. They had the size to guard Golden State. That that was they were perfectly built to beat Golden State, and then Joel Embiid got sick for two games against the Raptors, and Kawhi Leonard just literally shot my heart out in Game Seven. Look, I I know I'm supposed to be a Cavs fan, but you know I'm an Eagles fan. I got Philadelphia ties, man. I got a root for my guys. Yeah, I like Philly, too. I like the Sixers. I think that series, I was rooting for Sixers, and then when I saw Kawhi shot, I heard it hit the rim. like, eh, I don't know. I don't think it's going to go in. And then it was just like, you know, like the NBA draft uh, lottery ping pong ball. That's literally what that shot was like. And one of the most iconic shots in NBA history right now. Indeed. I, I would argue the clutchest playoff shot in NBA history. I, I want to switch gears here to football because the Browns start in a week. And I got to tell you, we Crazy. We were in agreement last year on Freddie Kitchens from the start. And I gotta tell you, from listening to Kevin Savinsky, from watching some of the build some of the building the bomb series, I am so impressed with Kevin Savinsky. Now I know he hasn't coached in a game yet, and that's a completely different animal. But from just hearing his press conferences, from listening to his mindset, from listening to his calm demeanor. I got a feeling, man, this year there is no talk about the Browns. It's all about Baltimore. It's all about Pittsburgh, which I don't understand. In my opinion, if Baker Mayfield has this season, his rookie season that he had this season, the Browns have all the weapons in the world. There is no excuse for this team to not be a wild card team. There isn't, really. I have a feeling the Browns, you know, they're either going to be 9 or 7 or 10, 6, and I had to put the same with the Steelers, too. I mean, I feel like those teams are about the same. But we just got to see how they turn out because it feels like Odell seems to be healthier this year. That's good because he was hurt all last year and he just didn't really tell anyone. Same thing with Jarvis. He just came off of surgery. I think he's going to be healthy. You got Nick Chubb, who's one of the top 10 running backs in the league. I think he'll be fine. Plus, you got Kareem Hunt, too. I think offensively fine. Defense will have to be the big issue because we had Mac Wilson go down in training camp, 
And so that's going to be hurt. So linebacker position is going to be tough because all we got is a uh, tacky tacky. And I don't know if he can do it. Uh, other than Miles Garrett and Ogan Joby and Olivier Vernon and Sean Richardson, we got a good defensive line. Cornerbacks are good with Reedy Williams and Denzel Ward. Safeties, that's going to be the other issue too. But I think our defense can do better. All I know is uh, first game against the Ravens, that's going to be a tough one too, especially at Baltimore. So, two thoughts on this. Number one is, I read a great article from Football Outsiders. It was about a month ago. And it's about the way defense has changed the NFL. You know, your base defense is usually your 4-3 or your 3-4. Most teams are actually not playing base defense anymore. Most teams are actually playing either big nickel or dime. And what they're doing is they're using a safety in a linebacker position. So sometimes teams will either play one or two linebackers at a time. And the Browns have been one of those teams that are going up with the trend. That's why you see you know, a team like the Browns and my Eagles not valuing linebackers as much anymore because they're going to be using the, the safety more in that linebacker role. I think Ronnie Harrison was a great pickup. That was a really good trade, in my opinion, only giving up a fifth-round pick for Harrison. You know, it was unfortunate that Grant Delpit went down, but I think the Brown secondary will be okay. I'm not worried about the linebacker depth as much because I know they're not going to be playing as much. My biggest worry is that just the fans kids. Not that I don't trust them as a head coach. It's with COVID and everything going on as a first-year head coach with not a lot of training camp, no preseason. I just feel like the teams with veteran head coaches this season are going to be better off than teams with rookie head coaches. That's my only concern. Yeah, I can honestly agree with you. I mean, I think Stefanski seems like a better uh, overall leader than uh, Kitchens, but we got to just see how he does in his first NFL Raiders in game. I mean... I do like the way that he came from Minnesota and how the Browns and the Vikings are very similar. Because, I mean, we got a great running back like Nick Chubb. They had Dalvin Cook. We have great wide receivers. They have D-Line and Diggs. We have Odell and Jarvis. So I have a feeling, like, offensively, I think Stefanski's got it. Defensively, that's going to be the big issue for the Browns this year. Yeah, but, I mean, if, if they can ball control, if, if they can control the clock, if they can run the football, they're going to use Njoku, I believe. I know he didn't get traded. I, they're going to use him a lot, along with Austin Hooper. The one guy out of the mix, I think, and Brown Sands can be disappointed to hear this, but I think Rashard Higgins this season is going to be out of the mix because you're not going to see a lot of three wide receiver sets. I saw a stat last year that's at Minnesota – when they went to three wide receiver personnel last year, were dead last in yardage in the NFL. When they were in the 12 personnel or two tight end, two wide receiver set, they were in the uh, in, in the NFL in offense. So you're going to be seeing a lot of Austin Hooper, a lot of David Njoku, a lot of Jarvis Landry, a lot of Odell Beckham. The big question for me offensively is two things. Number one, can Baker Mayfield be happy? Can he distribute the ball? Can he play well? And number two, can these personalities like Odell Beckham like Kareem on Nick Chubb, are they going to be able to handle possibly a less workload for the betterment of the team? I mean, I think the Browns can handle it. I I believe Odell Beckham is ready for one of his best seasons of his career right now, I mean, even in what's going on and stuff. I think Odell Beckham's right. Nick Chubb always seems like that player that's always ready no matter what the situation. And Baker Mayfield, he looks to be in better shape than he was last year. I think last year he was too busy hyping it up and just saying how good he'd be. And it went to bite him in the ass, actually. Happen. Yeah, so I mean, for you, are you still on the Baker train? Is this make it or break it for Baker? Are you still riding on with Baker? I would say we still have to ride with Baker, and I believe 
he's ready for one of his best seasons of his career. I know it's only his third season, but I think I'm going to still have to ride with Baker and until what happens, because I don't want to go through the 20 quarterbacks again like we did for the past 20 years. I think Baker's our guy. I know he's in a lot of commercials again, but I feel like he is our Browns quarterback. I know he's got a big personality, too, but it feels like this team right now that we have for the next four or five years is a team to be for the Browns. Because, I mean, we haven't had a good team in forever. I know your Eagles just are recently good because they had a Super Bowl two years ago. So you're expected to be good. I'm expected to be good. So there's a lot of pressure on our teams. Nothing but smiles here here in Philly. Um, the, the one thing I will say about us, though, is I am concerned about our offensive line more than ever right now. Obviously, that's after- not good. I, That's I'm going to do in Carson Wentz. I know, man. I'm done for the season. It sounds like Jason Peters wants a pay raise to play left tackle. Brandon Brooks is, all, is already down. I, you know, I was really on my Eagles to start the year. I thought we could win nine, ten games. I know our schedule is really difficult this season, but I'm telling you right now, my team, the wide receivers are going to be a lot better than they were last year, I, I believe. Tight end still going to be good. Carson wins if he can stay healthy. I know everybody wants to debate this Jalen Earth thing. Man, I said it at the time of the draft. This was not a draft pick to replace Carson Wentz. This was a draft pick of insurance with Jalen Earth. The idea is Jalen Earth will not be the starting quarterback in 2020, 2021, 2022. We're going to use him in that Asim Ill-like role, and then if we need to, we can play backup quarterback for Carson Wentz. That's all the pick was because of Wentz is injury history. Yeah, then I was kind of questioned on that pick at first, but now you kind of explain where I kind of get it. But I mean, we'll see what Hurts is doing because I do see him being more like Taysom Hill than, uh, than just a quarterback in an everyday role. Well, and the thing is, he's a lot better of a thrower of the football than uh, Taysom Hill is right now. I mean, I've seen some work in practice. Jalen Ertz is a legit NFL quarterback with arm talent. He needs some work. He needs some development in terms of coaching. But I think Jalen Hurts could be the backup quarterback. And then, you know, it could be a Tom Brady, Jimmy Garoppolo situation, potentially in a couple of years, where, you know, we'd love to trade Jalen Hurts for maybe a draft pick. Uh, yeah, it could happen. Who knows? I, mean, I think Hurts is going to. He was great at Alabama and at Oklahoma, so I don't have a problem with him in the NFL. I mean, this uh, draft class was pretty stacked with quarterbacks, too. I mean, let's not forget you had Joe Burrow, you had Tua Talatolga, um, can't remember all the other quarterbacks. Oh, you had. He's from Utah, Kent State played him. Oh, Jordan Love there. Jordan Love, I mean, we'll see what he does. I mean, he's been the Packers sitting on the bench behind Aaron Rodgers, so I don't know how that's going to work. Yeah, we'll see about that. That's going to be interesting. I want to move on to Brady and Belichick. Obviously, Brady's in Tampa Bay now. They just added Leonard Fournette. I gotta tell you, I think they're going to lose Week One of the Saints. I think that's almost a lock, just because I think it's going to be hard to get in shape Week One. You're playing a very good football team, but after that, you got Brady, Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Leonard Fournette. That stellar defense. Bruce Arians is your head coach. I mean, the Bucks have given Tom Brady more weapons this season, I would argue, than easily the last seven, eight years of Brady's last run in New England. This is going to be incredible. Tom Brady could throw if he wanted to 50 touchdowns, but I don't think that's the way the offense is going to work. I'm just saying if he wanted to, I think he could. Yeah, I think he could. I mean, I'm kind of surprised you mentioned this is Brady's best offensive weapons team, but you know, New England, all he had was... Uh, 
James James White, Edelman, and Gronk for a bit too. And then now he has Gronk back. They have a great connection. Now he's got two great wide receivers. That's even better. Now he's got Leonard Fournette in the backfield. This team's going to be very deadly. I have the Bucks actually finishing second right behind the Saints, but it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough for them. I mean, New Orleans will always be a good team in the NFC South, but I just always see the Bucks are going to be good. Got Bruce Aarons, an experienced coach, too, so that's even better. I mean, the only problem is is how Brady's going to connect with his uh, receivers and uh, Leonard Fournette, too. We already know he's got the connection with Gronk, but receivers and Fournette, that's going to be uh, another issue. So here's my thing with New England is two things. Number one, um, I'm going to be honest. I know they signed Cam Newton, but I was very shocked that he was named the starter. I thought, you know, no training camp reps, no preseason. I thought maybe they would start Brian Hoyer or even Jared Stidham for the first couple games, try to get Cam to learn the playbook a little bit. I was even shocked that Cam was named an offensive captain this, this early. To me, though, this says more about Jared Stidham is terrible than Cam Newton is our answer quarterback. I, mean, I wasn't shocked at all. I mean, Cam Newton, he was a former MVP 40 years ago, so I wasn't shocked Belichick made that move. And also seen that Cam Newton's been putting work after uh, his injury with the uh, Panthers last year and also getting cut. It feels like he just couldn't take it. He was just, you know, not in a good move, and he just wanted to be better. And he's at a better place right now. Where else than New England with Coach Bill Belichick leading his way? So I feel like the Patriots will be fine. I mean, they're still going to be uh, a top-two team in the, NFC, in the AFC East. The only other team they got to look out for is the Bills, and that's about it. I actually d- d- disagree with you on that. I think Miami is going to be a lot better this season, and I think New England at most probably wins five or six games. I, I really do. I don't think New England's going to be that good this year. Let me really quickly, I had it last week, and I'm going to pull it up here really quick. I'm going to pull up their schedule because I, I, I want to read you their schedule. It is the hardest schedule in the National Football League. I don't see how they get even eight wins on this schedule. So you go through it here. Week one, they're home against the Dolphins. I'll give them a win there. They have to go to Seattle. To me, that's a loss. They have to, yeah, I agree. They they will host the Las Vegas Raiders. That's a win there. So they're two and one. After that, this schedule is absolutely brutal. They have to go to Kansas City. To me, that's a loss. So you're two and two right there. They host Denver, and I think Denver's the sleeper team in the league this year. I think Denver is going to make the playoffs at eleven and five. I think they can beat the Patriots. That's just. I- I don't think I think if they played at Denver, Denver I would give the favor. But if they're playing at New England, I would give New England the favor. I would make the argument here: New England has always struggled against Denver. Denver has two bookend pass rushers, and New England has a lot of guys sitting out on defense. And that Denver offense now has three good wide receivers. They have a good tight end and Noah fan. Two good running backs in Melvin Gordon and Philip Winsley. Drew Locke, who showed some potential last year. I think everybody is sleeping on Denver. Denver is my surprise team of the week this year. I think they go up on the wins. I think they compete for Kansas City for that division. So you can make an argument there either way with Denver. Now you're playing the Niners the next week. I think that's a loss. Even in New England, I think that's a loss. I don't think they can beat San Francisco. I just think San Francisco is a better football team. They have to go to Buffalo. To me, that's a loss. That's a hard game in November in Buffalo. Well, Oaks, Buffalo almost beat them last year. So I got Buffalo there. Now, if they can beat the Jets, I'll give you that. They can definitely beat the Jets. 
But then they got to host the Ravens. They got to go to Houston. They got to play the Cardinals, the Rams, the Bills again. I mean, it's, it's a brutal schedule, Enzo. It's brutal. It's brutal, though. You never know what kind of scheme Belichick has to win. He just knows how to coach well. He's the best coach in the league. So I have a feeling, I think coaching will just take over in some of these games. I I don't see him beating the Ravens at all at home or the Niners. Uh, the Dolphins at, on the road, I, they always lose to Miami on the road, so I already have that off. They're not going to beat the Chiefs. I mean, I feel like the Chargers, I mean, they got Tyrod Taylor at quarterback, and I think New England's defense can literally just play over that one. The Rams, I have a feeling they're not going to be that good either. And then I think I think they can lose to the Texans, even though Bill O'Brien's not the smartest coach around. Yeah, I mean you can make the argument, but my thing is like, okay, New England at, at, at all of the odds out on defense. They're not going to have Dante Hightower, which is their big playmaker linebacker. They're not going to have Patrick Tom. They're not going to have some key pieces on defense. And then at receiver, who the hell do they have? I mean, they have absolutely. This is the reason why Tom Brady left. They have absolutely nobody who can separate. Don't give me Ken State Illuminati, Julian Edelman. He is a broken down piano. I'm sorry. He's not a good receiver anymore. They just released Robert Sanu. Nikhil Airy looks like a bust as a first round pick at a wide receiver. They don't have a tight end. Who the hell is Cam Newton going to pull the ball to? And just remember, Cam Newton's got speed on his legs, so you can always depend on that. Okay, just he's just like with Lamar Jackson, but I think Lamar Jackson's going. You just put eight in the box and you press up. If these guys can't separate, I don't care what speed you have. It's going to be impossible. Uh, their, their best lineman at right tackle can it also opted out. So they have some offensive line issues. I'm sorry, this team is not built well. If Tom Brady was still there, I would say this is a nine-win football team. Ninth and wins. They barely got to 12 last year with Brady. And this is the worst team this year. I would have to say this is Belichick's worst team that he's ever coached. I mean, there's a reason why I give him just about 10 wins. And I, with you saying they can go worse, I mean, they could. I just really don't know right now. But that just not, just basically having your offense is Cam Newton and Sonny Michelle and James White. And I don't know what they do. I think you might have to. You might have to use your running backs as receivers because he's got no one else to do. Maybe Edelman. Last year, I could argue he didn't look like the same running back he did for the year. He just, he just didn't. And James White can't really run the football. He can pass the ball, but they never really used him as a running back type. I know New England is smart when they rotate their backs, but I'm sorry. I look at this roster. And I go, this team is not a very good football team. Yes, they have the best head coach of all time. I'll give you that. But on paper, they're the third best team in the division. I like Miami's roster better. And I think Brian Flores is a really good coach. We saw what Miami did last year, winning all those games down the stretch. They just got better players defensively. I mean, Miami could win eight, nine games this season. Yeah, I would have to say, fighting for the number two spot in the NFC in the AFC East will have to be the Dolphins of the past. I mean, we already know about Adam Gase and the Jets. The Jets will be in the basement again. Oh, God. We already you, know that. You know how bad I feel for Greg Williams? Like, you, you know oh, yeah. how bad I actually feel for that guy? I mean, he his defense was a top-seven defense last year, 
And now they lose to Atlanta. They have, like, no playmakers on defense. And their defense carried them. And Adam Gase doesn't know how to play call. The Jets have no wide receivers. I actually feel bad for Sam Donald, though. I didn't think he was going to be the greatest quarterback since Slice Brad, like some people thought. But I, I feel bad for the Jets. This team at least now has a competent general manager in Joe Douglas off the Howie Roseman tree in Philadelphia. Hopefully they can find a way to move maybe Adele and do some other parts next season. But, yeah, the, the Jets are a dumpster fire. But I'm, I'm going to ask you this question really quickly here before I let you go. Uh, next year's draft, obviously Trevor Lawrence is going to be the number one overall pick. I have always thought all along, I think New England's going to try to – Trade up and get them. That's part of the reason why I think they're only going to win four or five games this year. I think they're going to try to get a really high draft pick and literally try and trade their whole draft to get Trevor Lawrence in number one from Jacksonville, who I think is going to go 0 16. Yeah, uh, I can see uh, New England uh, trading Cam Newton in that draft, too, just to get Trevor Lawrence. I mean, I feel like Cam Newton's not even going to be there that long. He is on a, is he on a one year contract? Yes. He is, he yeah. is on a one-year contract. Where's the other thing? I feel like if you're just trying to tank, why don't you just play Jared Stidham? I'm guessing, like, Belichick doesn't want to take too hard, unlike how Jacksonville is, but I don't think you see Jacksonville really getting... I don't understand what they've done all, all, over the last three years. It's like Belichick got mad. He had to trade Jimmy G. So he's just like, I'm going to run your franchise into the ground and win another Super Bowl on top of it. Because right now, this team, I'm sorry, like I just said, they, they're they nothing. I'm not afraid of anybody on that team. Not even Cam. I haven't seen Cam play good in two years. So convince me that Cam Newton's going to be that quarterback of old because I don't see it. I mean, just from the off-season work I've seen Cam put in, it feels like he might be the old Cam Newton this upcoming season. But just the only problem is not many dependable receivers or tight ends. Yeah, that's a good point. I I, I will give you that. All right, we're going to wrap things up here in a few minutes. And so is, is there any, you know, thoughts that come to your mind at all as we wrote the show today? Uh, any thoughts? I mean... Some NFL teams allowing fans in the stands. Here's my point. I don't think the NFL should do any fans this year for all 32 teams. I mean, the M the MLB is not doing it. The NBA and the NHL are in a bubble. I have a feeling the NFL should just have no fans this year and just use the crowd noise from their from stadium speakers and stuff. Because I feel like the stadium speakers are loud enough to bring in that fake crowd noise. Uh, same thing goes with uh, just with the media. It works well with picture. I mean, football is more TV oriented than uh, baseball is. So, wrestling in Florida has brought in some fans. They have done it at 10 to 15% capacity. So far, it, it has worked. There's been no COVID cases, to my knowledge, from fans. Now, that is in Jacksonville and obviously down in Florida where they're not taking the coronavirus seriously at all. But with that being said, you know, I'm not against the cardboard cutouts, but I just hate it. Uh, I, I think it looks stupid. I prefer to just see nothing in those seats. To me, they just look stupid. I'd rather do what what WWE has done, and they're calling it the the Thunderdome, excuse me, which is just they're, they're putting everybody, you know, on a big board and just showing, you know, live virtual fans. I think it's worth more for them than it has for the NBA, in my opinion, just 
because you can hear them. Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I don't like the cutouts at all, or I don't like how if you ever watch an MLB game on Fox, they have like the the fans from MLB the show in there, and I have a feeling they're going to do the same with the NFL with having like the fake fans from Madden in there in the stands just to make it look sold out. Sorry about that, guys. I just got something stuck in my throat for a second. I had to take a drink of water. So I apologize if that came out a little like, chunky. But yeah, you know, I I do agree with you in terms of that. So, all right, well, Enzo, we're going to go ahead and wrap things up for today. I appreciate you for coming on. Sean, I see your comment in the comment section. We are going to try to get you on here in a couple of weeks. You know, I've talked to you more than I talked to Enzo, so I, I wanted to catch up with with, um, with my man here a lot today. Thank you, Enzo, for coming on. All right, thank, thanks, Brandon. I appreciate being on here. No problem. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Enzo Orlando. And guys, we are going to sign off for the week. We'll see you guys next week. Friends, tomorrow, next Friday. Peace.